Well, it's always uh, good to uh, come together, even on a rainy day. And uh, what I want to encourage you to do is, um, Jeff, what month, what week did we land on Get Back to Church? The 20? Yeah, 30th. Okay, October 30th, we're going to have a, a day focused on getting back to church. You don't have to wait till October 30th, but we want to get the momentum moving back in the direction it needs to go. We're praying that God will help us to redirect uh, our focus and get people back into church. Uh, we are certainly delighted to have all of those who would join us online throughout uh, this week, uh, and we're glad that we have the capabilities of providing that for you. And uh, But we would really love to see you in person if it's at all possible. Uh, you know, we believe it's a time of transition where we were able to get together here, and uh, we have a lot of people who are excited about you rejoining us, and so we hope that you will do that soon. And uh, But you're not forgotten, and for those who cannot get out, and this is your connection with Bethel, we want you to know uh, that you're important and you're loved, and when we pray here for needs, uh, those prayers extend to you as well, and God is uh, able to minister here in person and there with you. So uh, we have a baptismal service coming up uh, here in a, just a little bit, and we're delighted uh, to see that happen. That's always a good thing when the church has people who are being baptized as a public witness of a personal faith and uh, declaring to the uh, world that they are born again. And uh, we thank God for those who will be coming up. And uh, uh, Pastor uh, Kevin and Oren are going to be going in the tank. And uh, so we put some piranhas in there for you. And uh, so uh, I'd like to uh, today to talk about what the Lord uh, has, uh, has to say about being, um, those who are spiritually lost. And... Um, you know, this is a day of victory, and it is a day of, uh, of a celebration in Christ. And it's also a day where we desire to see others be enjoined with us in this great spirit of celebration, knowing that they have been redeemed, that their lives have been healed. And uh, Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a great text here, a great story. And uh, we read on in this chapter how the Lord on his en route to uh, uh, Jerusalem, uh, between Jericho and Jerusalem, he stops while in Jericho to visit with a gentleman by the name of Zacchaeus. And uh, Zacchaeus was that wee little man that we sing about. How many remember that song, the wee little man was he? And uh, so he knew that Jesus was coming. And you can imagine anywhere that Jesus went, people wanted to be wherever he was because they heard of the miracles that he performed. Uh, no one spoke like Jesus ever, not before nor after, because he spoke with a, an excellence and an anointing that was incomparable. You know, those who heard him speak said they, they had never heard anybody speak with such an authority. You know, uh, there's a heavenly authority in the words of Christ and in his ministry, so he was sought out. And, uh, you know, I think about how distressed we get uh, mentally and physically when we are lost. I don't know. We haven't gotten lost too many times. I rem 
uh, remember one occasion that stood out. We were somewhere in New Jersey, and uh, we drove, and somehow we had missed the, uh, missed the turn, and um, we got on a road that uh, we didn't know what it was called, and, uh, and actually it stopped. The road just stopped, so you knew at that point that something had, had, had happened, and that was before GPS, and so there was one fella out uh, standing somewhere along the road there in a, near, near a business and such, and I pulled over and asked him, you know, how, how do, where are we? How do we get back to whatever route we were? And uh, he started in the most fluent uh, language that I didn't understand ever, not one word of it. And uh, I thanked him and I left. And uh, so we moved on and just kind of found our way eventually back to where we needed to go. And it's just a very stressful thing. If you've ever been in a car, you go to a city that you're not familiar with or in a location where there's a lot of traffic and you get lost, you miss your exit, you miss the turn. You, that can be a really stressful experience. And, um, you know, being lost means that, spiritually speaking, that uh, we, we've not been redeemed. You know, we've not been, we have not experienced the grace that God wants us to experience, and we're living outside of the, of the grace of God. Not that it can't reach us and draw us in, but we choose to live apart and independently from the grace of the Lord. And, you know, really, there's only two type of people on this planet, and this is not a stereotype. This is a scriptural truth. There are the lost and the found. And uh, everyone in this church today is either lost or found. And, uh, you've, uh, you know, without getting into a lot of discussion about that, when you look at this scripture, there are the lost and the found. So if you're here today and you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior you have been found. Aren't you glad for that today? That you have been found. You have been brought into the secure place of Christ's uh, redeeming grace. And it's not God's will that any should die lost or perish, that, but he's uh, desiring that all should come to repentance. And so, you know, we think about the stories in Luke chapter 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, you know, all of those really emphasizing the value of something that was lost. And uh, first off, you know, as Christians, we have to acknowledge there are, there are a world of people out there that don't know Christ. And the most important mission that we'll ever have in life is sharing Christ either through actions or words or, you know, that we would share with people the hope of salvation. Because, you know, uh, there are a great many people who really in this country don't know how to be saved. Number one, they don't realize they need to be saved because they're not looking at it life from a scriptural perspective because no one has filled those blanks in for them. They've not had the benefit and the luxury that many of us have. It would be, a, it would be, we would be, uh, it would be staggering if we realized how many people have never once heard the gospel the way you and I have heard it thousands and thousands of times in this country, in communities such as Littlestown, you know, and in the surrounding regions. There are people who have never been presented with salvate the salvation message. Now, there may be more that go to church, but I'm finding that more and more those who don't present Christ are withering. Those who preach another gospel are withering. They're aging and they're withering and they're dying and we don't want to be one of them, right? 
We want to be alive. We want to be connected to the vine. Because when we're connected to the life source of Christ, there's life there. And then we have life to share with others. We're not propagating dead religion. And I'm not condemning religion because sometimes we say, you know, I'm not religious. I'm I'm a Christian. And I understand what we mean by that. But religion uh, speaks to a lot of things. And it speaks to a pattern or a, a consistency or certain sacraments and things that we do. So there are characteristics of religion in what we do. But our redemption is is centered in the Lord. We are born again, right? That's facilitated strictly by God. We enter into that by, uh, by grace through faith. Uh, and so when we, we look at the scriptures here, we understand that God places a lot of value on every living person. You know, every soul God places a great deal of value on. There are no people who are more valuable to God than others, and there are no people who are less valuable to God than any others. You know, and so we have to allow that truth to take hold in our hearts and in our minds when dealing with people outside of the church. Because you're here today doesn't mean that God loves you any more than he loves the person who's not here. You know, we're not the elite. We are elect, but we're not the elite. How many understand what I'm saying? We're not, we're not above everyone else because of who we are, but we are standouts in Christ for the grace of God to be promoted and for his name to be glorified. You know, so when we, we look at this, uh, you know, there, someone uh, had uh, taken a survey of certain uh, shepherding prince, uh, process and practices uh, in the Middle East, and just to get an idea of when we talk about sheep and uh, shepherding and all that, it's not something that's part of our culture, you know. Uh, we, don't, we don't have a broad depth of understanding when it comes to practical shepherding, because we, don't, we see sheep and we see goats and we see that, but, you know, we're talking about a culture where that was a primary source of business. And so it's been noted that when a, when a sheep wanders away and it realizes that it's lost, it is overwhelmed with a fear. And it will find a rock or a bush or a rock uh, to hide uh, under or behind. And it begins to quiver and it begins bleeding. Bleating, not bleeding. Uh, okay. Uh, the shepherd has to locate it quickly because... Uh, when it is heard by another predatory animal, that animal will come swiftly and will kill that animal, and that sheep will be lost. On uh, being found, you know, that shepherd sees the traumatized sheep, and he doesn't take that sheep by the ear. He doesn't beat that sheep with the staff to all the way back to the fold, but he places that shoulder, uh, that, that sheep upon his shoulder, and he carries it back to the flock. You know, so here, here's what the, that little illustration really points us to today is the fact that people are in imminent danger without Christ. We have to let that sink in for a second. You know, people are in imminent danger without the Lord. You know, people are, people are leaving this life every day who are not prepared to do so. There are people who are valuable to God who have never been told that they are valuable to God. 
They've never been introduced to his grace. They've never had anyone share that, 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 you know, that there is life to be had in Christ, an abundant life. No one's ever told them. And I wonder in our own lives and community, how many people have we shared salvation with? I mean, I'm talking that don't know church. I'm not talking about talking shop because we do that all the time when we get together. I'm talking about sharing Jesus with unbelievers and sharing the, their value. You know, uh, you know, telling people that you are valuable to the Lord. You are valuable. You are loved. You are esteemed. And, you know, that's hard for some people to process because their lives are a train wreck. Not everybody has this ordered, sanitized version of sin. You know, you know, good sinners, bad sinners. Good sinner doesn't kill anybody. The bad sinner does. But I want to say to you today that there, there are a lot of people that just really don't know that they have any value. They're broken down. And they're angry and they're hostile and they're uh, criminal at times. And they're unsociably many of the times. They're full of bitterness and contempt and they act out. And you see all the things that people are acting out in the world today. There's no excuse for it other than sin is the root cause to the bad behavior of all men. And you look at a world that is it's just reek, reeking of, of, of just unhealthy living, hateful living. And you know, the one thing that we must understand that God has not called us to completely... Uh, to, you know, our, mini- our ministry is not to consistently talk about how terrible people are and how bad society is. There's enough people doing that already. We have to have an answer. Come on, church. We have to provide an answer. It's one thing to tell somebody that something's broken. It's another thing to bring something into the situation that fixes it. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to say, hey, we're living in a world that is, is, is rotting and dying and is corrupt and lost and full of it. But you understand the world is dying because they need the gospel. They need Christ. And you are the ambassadors of Christ, and I am an ambassador of Christ. It is our calling, and it is our responsibility to win as many of, of, of this generation as we can while we're here. That's our calling. You say, well, we don't win anybody. That's not true. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. You, you hear that word? He says, I will train you. I will equip you to be fishers of men. We don't save anybody. That, that's a given. We, we can jump over. We, we, don't, we understand that part. But we are instrumental. We are called by God to share that word into people's lives, to love people. And, and, and you know, I'm not, I've not arrived, so I don't stand here on this, uh, on this platform as though I'm speaking down to you. I live the same kind of, uh, I live the same way you do. You know what I mean by that? I, I live a life where uh, this, my faith walk is contested every day. The enemy comes against me every day. He tries to undermine what God is doing in my life. And you know, sometimes I'm more discerning of what's happening, and other times I seem to be oblivious, and I stumble into something that if I walked with true discernment, I'd know, don't do that, don't say that, don't go there. You know, it's estimated that an average person loses uh, 
30 or 3,000 items in their lifetime and, and spends about one year of their lives searching for them. Statistics also show that there are about two-thirds of Americans who spend about $50, on average, $50 a year replacing lost items. You know, I just, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this other than to say that, uh, you know, the one thing that has brought me great stress when, when lost has been the uh, remote. I mean, the whole, the whole world ceases to, you know, to do its rotations at that point and and we call it, we convene all hands on deck. Ted, Robin, you know, and uh, now Rascal, he needs a little help with that. But, uh, but there, is a, there, is a, there is a lostness that pervades this world today that is the same as what Jesus diagnosed when he sought out Zacchaeus and he came to him. He came to Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he profited off his exploitation of people, of his, of his uh, you know, he took advantage of the position he held. And there were many, as we've shared before, that viewed these people as collaborators with Rome and they despised them anyhow. And when they cheated people, they were, you know, they were, they were viewed with great hatred and contempt. The one thing about Jesus is that he never allowed a good scandal to prevent him from reaching out to someone. Did you hear that? Because when you reach out for Christ, you are going to be scandalized. That's how you know you're sharing real the Christ, with sharing the gospel with other people. Because if no one's harassing you and no one's speaking evil of you because of your representation of Christ, it's because you're not a threat to them. You're not, a, you're, not, you're not annoying enough. But when you really turn the dial up and you say, for me to live as Christ and for me, my life is to be centered in him and my, my calling, and this is all of our calling from the front to the back, is to share Christ with those who are lost. If we're not doing that, we're not doing what we've been called and set apart to do. Come on. Why is it so quiet? Am I speaking another language? You know, you know, if you're not sharing Christ, you're not a fisher of men. And I'm saying for me as well. You know, I can do, I can do, I can pastor and do all the things that a pastor's supposed to do, but if I don't have a heart for reaching the lost, it ain't good for much. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he's also a son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then you jump down to verse 41. It says, and now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. And, if you, and he says, if you, had, if you had known, even you, especially in your, this your day, the things that make for peace, he said, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And he goes on to speak a prophetic word that found its fulfillment in the history of these people, great, this great city. Jesus is making his way toward Jerusalem en route to that final, uh, to, to what he had come to do, to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew that. And as he looks at the city in which he would, uh, he would be crucified, he wept over that city. 
He didn't spew venom at the city. He didn't condemn the city. His heart was broken for the city. Here's something I want all of us to think about. How many of us, our hearts are broken for those who don't know Christ? I mean, how many of us are quite comfortable dodging the the things that are happening around us and living an insular life and not really being affected or impacted by the things that are bringing this world into that deep abyss of hopelessness? I want to challenge you today. Every sermon should be a challenge, not simply a feel-good moment. Because even in the feel-good moments, there should be a challenge, right? Because we haven't arrived. When you arrive, then you don't need a challenge. I don't need one because we've already reached that point where we don't need that. But as long as we grow in Christ and we look at his example, he was always setting forth a challenge. According to Scripture, as we said, there's two spiritual realities when it comes to all people. People today in this world are either on their way to heaven or hell. That's the only two options. And I'm going to say for the sake of what I'm going to say here, you you know, forget limbo, forget purgatory. There's heaven and there's hell. And you either, we are all either headed to heaven or hell, and every person you love is either headed to heaven or hell. Every one of your neighbors are either headed to heaven or hell. Every one of our co-workers are either headed to heaven or hell. Our best friends and our worst enemies, they're either headed to heaven or hell. And, you know, if our hearts are not, in, are not in tune with the realities there, then we're saying, Lord, they're not as valuable to me as they are to you, and God is grieved. Because when his heart takes over the throne of our hearts, when his passions overtake our, 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 the, the places that we once allowed the flesh to rule, that is displaced with a passion. And you know, I say that today because I, I realize as I go out in life, I can do one of two things as a Christian. I can walk around talking about how terrible society is, how bad people are. And never invest one, one moment in sharing hope with somebody. You know, think about that. It's easy to gravitate to the popular, especially in, in our circles of faith, to get into that mindset that our, our only observation with regard to the world is how terrible it is. How many still go back to the scripture that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See those first few words? For God so loved the world. And you don't think that he already knew the condition of the world? He did because the scripture says that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. People are funny because I often hear people talk about revival and when we get revival, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. I want to tell you the one thing that is a sure sign whether it's truly a revival or not is our desire to minister to those outside the faith. I don't care how high you jump in church. I don't care whether you lay on the floor, you jump to your feet. I don't care if you run around the whole place. I'm good with all of it. But I don't mark any measure of spirituality for any of it. Because I can speak with the tongues of men and angels and I can, and I can, I can, I cannot have love in my heart toward others. And God said that's nothing but noise. 
I'm saying this today because, you know, we, we are living in a time of opportunity as much as it's a time of peril, it's a time of opportunity. And Jesus himself came for the purpose of saving that which was lost. We cannot truly glorify God if we don't have a heart that beats for the things that his heart beats for, and we do not do what he came to do. Uh, we, we don't live in alignment with what he came to do. You know, so often we get into these campaigns to promote church growth, and that's fine, but without prayer and connection, there is no passion, there is no true compassion, little personal investment. It becomes the source of defeat and pride in the end because it doesn't measure up to what we expected, or it goes beyond what we had hoped for, and it becomes about us. The drive of everything we do needs to either be to win the lost or to help build believers up in their faith so they can go out and win the lost. Every ministry in this church should be focused on this. This isn't just simply about feel-good moments. This is about instructing people in the Word of God and in faith and in love so that they can go out and they can share this Christ with people who don't know. I'm saying this today because we have assumed that this is one nation under God, and I want to tell you, in fact, it is not. The God of this world reigns, unfortunately, in many aspects of our culture and our society where Jesus ultimately will take possession of every kingdom that is, ever, is on this earth and they shall become his. Until that time, this world is a wreck. It is a fallen world. And we as the church are the only true messengers of God's goodness. And you say, well, that sounds kind of weird, but that's the fact. I'm, I, am, I am doing well, so don't, don't feel bad for me. I mean, I'm not, not upset. I'm not angry. I just, hey, I don't think preachers are meant to get up and give little homilies that mean nothing. You know, when somebody's holding the 10 card up for the sermon you preach, you better get on your knees and on your face before God because we start counting on those. How many stars you get on Google? You know what? Google is a blight in many ways. Oh, you know, they, people look for churches. They go to look on the, on the Google to see which church got the most stars. <laughs> yeah. And then if they don't like it, they let everybody know they didn't like it. And if they loved it, that's the best place ever. So I'm not against if you want to go on the Google and then put five stars for your church. That's okay with me, Right? But it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Jesus stopped in Jericho on his way to Jerusalem because he had places to go that were purposed and aligned with the will of the Father. The gospel nor the church are to be stationary but mobile as demonstrated in the life of Christ. He had places to go. Jesus did not go everywhere people wanted him to go. Jesus did not go everywhere there were needs. He didn't heal everybody. You say, well, show me one instance when he didn't heal everybody. Okay, I'll show you one. The lame man at the gate, beautiful. He had laid there for years and years and years, and there are many who believe that Jesus would have walked past him going into the temple. And Jesus didn't heal him. Why didn't he heal him? 
Because there, there's a divine order to what God does, and it doesn't always align with the way we think it should go. And in God's timing, Peter and John came through those same temple entranceway, and they saw this man begging, looking to them, expecting to receive something. And, you know, how many remember what Peter said? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. But it was at that time, Jesus had withdrawn from the people, gone out into the wilderness to be alone and to pray, and they came looking for him. Hey, don't you know there are people back here still that want you to come back? What are you doing? And he says, I'm moving on because I have other places to go and to preach the kingdom. And Jesus moved on, and he left. He didn't stay. And it wasn't because he didn't care, but he had an order to it. And what I'm sa- why I'm saying this is that God has divine appointments for you and I to be keeping. Every one of us have divine appointments that we were given that we are to keep. We don't know what they are if we're not seeking the heart of God and we're not looking to the fields that are white and ripened under the harvest. Jesus didn't heal the lame man at the time that he came through, but at an appointed time, this man was healed. Some say this man would have been about 40 years of age, and and many say that Jesus would have walked past him many different times. God goes where God goes, and God wants his church to be missional and on the go, and he wants us to be discerning of those appointments that he's given us. That's another word, a couple of words that we throw around quite easily. But in keeping them, discerning them and keeping them is the other part. We talk about divine appointments. Okay, divine appointments sounds very spiritual. But in reality, what it is is God says instead of bypassing, uh, instead of taking the, going, uh, taking the three, uh, bypassing Samaria, Jesus needed to go through Samaria because there was, there was going to be a woman at the well that he had to meet. So Jesus didn't take the, he didn't take the easier conventional route that Jews would have taken to avoid all contact with Samaritans. He took the route that uh, that, that would be longer, but took him exactly where he purposed to go. I love that statement. Jesus needs to go to Jerusalem or to uh, uh, Samaria. And he goes to that well and he shows up at that time. God has those kind of appointments for you. We can talk about winning the world. Hey, let's turn, let's dial it in and say, God, who among, who in my sphere of influence are the person that you have called me to love and to speak into? We're going to win the whole world. You can't win the whole world if we're not doing it in our backyard, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our schools. Let's talk about it. How many of us understand that there is not only a crisis in the world, but there's a crisis in the church, and it's called, it's, you know what it's called? Indifference. Apathy. I don't expect too many to respond to that. But there's an indifference toward the fact, oh, we talk about it when we come to church, we have our programs, we have our activities, but you know something? The fields are out there and they are white and ready to be reaped out, reaped 
I'm as guilty as anybody at times. I'm going to tell you, I'm not standing on a loft preaching down and condemning others. It's a challenge for us as the church to understand the greatest thing we will ever do in this life has nothing to do with buildings. It has nothing to do with uh, wealth. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with how many souls we have shared the love and the truth of God. Only thing that will matter. You think God's going to be backslapping us uh, for all the things we've done? I don't think so. How many people have we won to Jesus? How many people have we spoken into? Not we, but God through us. We always facilitate and allow it. I think about Jesus' view of Jerusalem, and I'm racing toward a conclusion here. So Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way to that climactic Passover feast that he, uh, when he would give his life as a ransom for many. The eyes of the church must be discerning as to what hour we are in and what the mission field is. God, give us a heart that weeps for those who don't know the Lord. You know, sometimes that's hard because, you know, it's hard to weep for people you don't know. And when you see how ugly people can behave themselves, it's hard to have any real sorrow, any real tears flowing from that. But I got to tell you, it's when God is given the place that he wants that he will, he will, he will pop, he will, uh, what do you call that? Prime the pump. And Nehemiah wept as he wept for days and he fasted before the Lord when he heard how bad the condition was in, in Jerusalem and the walls remained still in shambles after several attempts and many years they had not advanced and they were vulnerable. And Nehemiah heard this and his heart was broken and he wept before the Lord. And he not only wept on behalf of the people, he stepped into the situation as a divine appointment. And we know through Nehemiah's leadership in his life and the favor that he was given by God with a king. And as God favored him in the face of opposition and enemy, that he, the work would be completed that he was called to do. Jesus wept over his beloved city. Jesus was characterized in this moment with a tremendous grief accompanied with a commitment to give everything he could to redeem this. It's one thing to weep. The world doesn't need our sympathy. It needs, the, it needs our commitment. It needs our investment. It doesn't need our crocodile tears. It needs our investment. It needs hands-on involvement. It needs people who are actually stepping out into a world that doesn't know Christ and introducing people to the Savior. You know, today, we cannot be silent. We must present the good news rather than condemnation without the answer to the problem. We're not the guy who repeatedly states that something's broken, but never really offers any real insight or effort as to how to fix it. We know what the cure is, right? We still know, church, right? Even if the world says we're not into conversion theology, that makes no difference to us. It doesn't alter nor change anything. I mean, no, you don't get to heaven without a conversion. Anybody? Oh, they'll just slip in because God will have a, have a big heart of compassion. God has a big heart of compassion, but he says the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life. That's what he said. I don't know unless he's not telling the truth. 
We recognize the condemned estate that afflicts the fallen nature. It's not our place to prosecute the fallen, the lost, the unsaved, those who are living. Our, our calling is to be an ambassador for Christ. That's our calling. I'm going to ask Tammy if she'd come. Condemnation in a inseparable, is an inseparable part of life. To live without Christ is condemnation. And, you know, we are not adding to the shame. We are speaking hope to those who have been overwhelmed. The woman who was taken in adultery, Jesus didn't come and pile on, right? How many know Jesus didn't come and pile on to the woman who was taken in adultery? He came and he was the singular voice who stepped in and and provided advocacy for a woman who did commit adultery among other slime balls who had committed worse deeds and yet were condemning her. And all he says to her at the end, who condemns you? And she looks around and says, no one. I see no one. And he says, go and sin no more. Break the cord with that life that you were living and walk in grace. He didn't say all that. I'm just adding that. Tagging people and loving people is not what, uh, and, uh, is what Jesus did. He didn't tag sinners. We put labels on people, right? Label, tag, 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 tag. I shared this with you before. We had a, a gentleman who had, who had really given his heart over to the Lord, and God had really done a work. He had been raised up in faith and had wandered out. Very talented musician, nice-looking man. Uh, but he was known as the town, and they called him, and I don't know what this all means, but they called him, well, he was a womanizer. I won't tell you what they called him. He was a womanizer, had several children to several different women. Uh, he came into church. I interacted with him. It was at, rain, what is that called? Rain day or something stupid? Uh, rain day. It's raining outside today. But anyhow, rain day, went there and someone introduced me to him. And, uh, you know, I loved the guy when I first talked to him because I could see that he was broken. He had everything from the external appearances, but he was broken. And you know what happened? That man, over a course of time, he commits his heart to the Lord. He comes into the church, and he, he was a very gifted musician. One of the things he did was he played the drums. And I'm saying this not because we need to do that here. I'm simply saying to you it's something in that moment, at that time, in that context, it was the right thing to do. He had been in church for uh, months, and he brought his three little boys, and they sat right beside him in church every Sunday and uh, very faithful. And over time, you know, we had needs in, the, in, the, in our worship team, you know. And I said to him one day, and I, you know, I'm saying this because there's a deeper point than him playing the drums. So if you get stuck there, get off. The point is, this man was sitting there. He had played in nightclubs. He had sung in bars. He had gone to all these places and used his talents and abilities in the world. And he gave us, he committed his life to the Lord. And I got to tell you, I love the guy to death. I loved him so much. He's, he, he is just, uh, there's something endearing in his spirit to me. Aside from the brokenness and all that stuff. And, and one day I said to him, hey, we need a drummer. You want to play? I didn't have a committee meeting about it because I felt like God had already given me direction on it. And I, he said, well, I would love to. I said, well, I'll talk to those in charge and we'll see. We'd love for you to come and to play the drums for us if you would. Because I, and I told him, I said, I'd rather you play them here than in a, in a nightclub. And 
you know, you would have thought I asked Satan himself to a few people to come in and play our drums. And I'm going to tell you, uh, you know, we, we had a few more that would come, and we had a Sunday evening service, and I had a conversation with the congregation, and I said, you know, the reaction to this situation doesn't reflect Christ in some of us. Because I'm going to tell you right now that God is more interested in this man's heart than whether or not you approve in me asking him to play the drums. Because he's given his heart to the Lord. He's committed his way. And you know, why would we allow him to sit there not using what God gave him? Because it really stands forth as a showcase to to the community, to the church and the world that God not done with you because you've messed up. And I'm going to tell you, um, and that's not for, that was in the context of a situation that I was intimately aware of. And you know, I said, church, this is exactly the kind of thing we need to be doing. As you stand today, well, you don't stand because these guys are coming and I'm finishing here. You said, you said that already, but I am going to finish. I want you to think a minute about what Jesus did. He went to the woman taken in adultery. She committed adultery. There's no getting around it. She committed adultery. She was, and there were those who wanted to defile her further and humiliate her in front of everybody. They wanted to destroy her to get to Jesus. Zacchaeus was a corrupt collaborator with Rome. He was hated. The level of hatred that was aimed at, at Zacchaeus was beyond our comprehension the woman who ministered at the feet of Christ and you remember who was his name uh, I can't remember his name you know the the Simon the Pharisee I believe he's standing and he's looking at Jesus allowing this woman to to weep at his feet and to wash his feet with her tears and 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 he's standing there and he's watching this as the host who invited Jesus into his home he's saying if this man were truly a prophet he'd know what kind of woman she is Jesus discerned his thoughts, knew what he was thinking, and he, and he chastised him. He said, you know, when I came into your home, you didn't show me even the slightest of courtesies. You didn't, you didn't even provide any water for me to wash my feet, which was custom. He said, the moment I walked in, this woman here, she washed my feet with her tears. The demonized man of Gadara, you talk about a wreck man who was demonically possessed and controlled. He had been estranged from his family. He had been taken. He lived in the graveyard, chained and shackled. He was a demonic lunatic. They couldn't bind him up and he howled and lamented and cried out from the, from the graveyard and one day Jesus comes through. How, isn't that a coincidence? Jesus comes through Gadara and there's a demon-possessed man who rushes out to meet him and, and the demons make their appeal to Jesus through this man and we know the Lord delivered him and he was placed back in his right mind, clothed and in his right mind. Our disgust with those who, have, uh, who are living according to the fallen nature is not justified. No, I didn't say sin. God hates sin. 
But God is always able to discern the value of a sinner from his contempt and disgust with their sin. And as Christians, God help us to do that. We don't approve. We don't look at the other way. We don't, we don't run from these hot topics, but we have to see the things as they are and love people into grace. The redemptive heart of God through us and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit will lead us to break through. We close here this morning, and I just wanted to uh, share this with you. What Jesus said about the lost and what he did demonstrate that everyone's valuable. Everyone's valuable. I had a board member in one of my churches. I overheard him telling the other board member because we lived in a poor county and there were people there who had nothing. And I mean, they lived dirty, filthy lives. Some of them, they were, they were poor. Some of them were just filthy. And, and I, he stood to the side and he said, I heard him telling the other board members because uh, we had invested some efforts in ministering. He says, these aren't the kind of people you build churches with. No, but grace can. The grace of God can build churches through, the, through wrecked lives. How many hear that today? God can take the, uh, the, the vilest and he can clean, clean them up and save and bring them into salvation. And they don't wear a tag. Aren't you glad you don't have to wear a tag that says X? Struggling, you know, or current. You know, you don't have to. God knows what you are. He knows who you are and he knows how to fix it. Everyone's valuable. Zacchaeus was valuable. We only pursue what we deem valuable. So if we're not pursuing the lost, it's because we don't deem them valuable. Sometimes the value can only be seen through the eyes of the Holy Spirit that sees beneath the dirt and the crud and the brokenness. And so as we pray this morning, I'm going to ask you if you just take a moment with me and say, God, I never want to underestimate the reach and the power of your grace. Lord, I pray this morning that as Jesus cited Zechariah or Isaiah, excuse me, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Will you pray that with me today? Because that anointing rests upon you through Christ. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. To preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. And I love this part. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he that he, that the Lord may be glorified. Lord, we thank you for this incredible grace that we have experienced in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that it'll flow through us into a world that doesn't know Jesus. They've never been told 
They may have seen church. They may have been in a church. But Lord, unfortunately for many, they've never heard that Jesus saves and that we must be born again. And Lord, I pray that as ambassadors of Christ that we would gladly and not with guilt or compulsion because we are forced to, but with great rejoicing because we get to, to share this good news with many people that our feet might be beautiful in the eyes of the Lord in sharing Him. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord or you've walked away from Him, today's an incredibly great day for you. Lord Jesus, we confess our sins before you, Lord. You said we've all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, I confess my sin. I acknowledge what Jesus did on the cross for my redemption. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself. He cleansed my, He provided for the cleansing of my heart and the renewing of my mind. He, he made possible for me to be a new person, a new creation. That His grace inside of me would produce, Lord God, what I could never make of myself. So I confess my sins. I, Lord, I acknowledge that the Lord Jesus died for me. And I receive what he did for me as, uh, as, as for my pardon, my forgiveness, my new life that I am raised up in as the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of me. And I walk out of here, Lord God, set freer than I've ever known. And Lord, I want to grow in that freedom. I want to grow in that abundance. I want to grow in that liberty. So Lord, I thank you for saving me. And all I can say is I want to be with you. I want to be with your people. I want to lift your name up. I want to learn at your feet. I want you, Lord, to raise me up to live the life that I've always desired and have never found. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We, we have a great... I ran over, no surprise, right? Supposed to, I, I ran over. There's people waiting in the back who have been waiting patiently to take their place in the tub. And I'm going to ask you to, if you want to take pictures of anyone, you have loved ones, and you need to move up, please feel free to, but do it quickly. Uh, and so we, they're ready, and the, they're going to come into the tank. How many in advance of those who come out will already say, we're ready for this? Now, let's just give the Lord a, a, a shout of praise. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.